Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this last day of August, the 31st Monday in 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And as is our custom on Mondays, we take a look at one of the readings for the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, which will be September the 6th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I've got a real problem. Readings are from Ezekiel 33, Romans 13, and Matthew 18. There's at least eight sermons that could be given on these wonderful passages. For example, in Ezekiel, it indicates that when the Lord speaks to those who are going contrary to his will and that they will not be saved, that wicked person will die in his iniquity. But if you do not warn the wicked one, guess what? His blood I will require at your hand. Boy, that, that's a great sermon. Then Matthew 18 has 20 verses. Uh, the one that's really good is, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Also, if someone receives a little child, but causes the little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Boy, you could do a real good sermon on that one. And then you've got these strange statements. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Is Jesus serious about that? That would be another great sermon. And then he's also got the Matthew verses 10 and following of chapter 18 about the lost sheep. And finally, in Matthew, it talks about what we often refer to as excommunication. When a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If not, take two others along with you. And then if he still doesn't listen, tell it to the church and therefore regard him as a Gentile and a tax collector in a negative sense. How, how many people are doing discipline these days? We, we talked about that on Thursday as one of the worship nightmares. Uh, tell me a church that you know of that recently has excommunicated one of their members. It hardly ever happens. And, and therefore, worship nightmares not only occur when in worship you say things that are wrong, but also in a worshiping church, you do not do what God wants you to command. So you can see, wow, there's a whole bunch of sermons. We're going to deal, though, with the epistle from Romans 13, what I consider to be one of the greatest passages in the Bible that is often misunderstood by the world. Paul talks about it where he says in Romans 13, verse 10, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, 
There are always two ways in which you can interpret a text, the wrong way and the right way. And oftentimes, it's because the wrong way is always a confusion of law and gospel. Remember, the law is not given by God to show us how to be good enough to get to heaven. You don't merit your way to heaven. You don't earn heaven. Uh, The law shows that it is impossible for anybody to work their way into heaven. Ephesians is pretty clear. You say, by grace, through faith, not on account of works, lest anyone should boast. So, how do many in the world today interpret love is the fulfilling of the law? I, I hear this all the time from people who are living immorality. For example, you've got two young people, a boy and a girl, and they maybe plan on getting married. So what are they doing? They begin to live with each other. And you say, that's contrary to the will of God because you're not to live with each other until after the marriage. And they say, no, no, we love each other. How can God be against our love for one another? And that's not only used where young people are living together. It also occurs on the part of seniors who begin to live together and sleep together. Why? Without marriage, so they don't lose their social security. So love is the fulfilling of the law. Here's how people, many of them understand it. If I love an individual, then I'm fulfilling the law. And that's particularly used among great immoralities such as homosexuality and and even abortion. I've heard women talking about that the child they murder in the womb is, they're doing that out of love because they don't want to bring the child into a family where it is not wanted. And therefore, they think that is love. Well, what's the proper interpretation of this phrase? Love is the fulfilling of the law. The improper we've looked at, namely, if you have an act of love, then that is automatically fulfilling the law. But look at the context of Romans 13. It's it's often used to indicate our obedience to the government. It starts off, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, God is making it pretty clear that when, for example, people are protesting, they need to protest in a legal way. And cities and counties and states, they have forms that you can fill out, and then you're allowed to do a protest with a certain number of people. But what are we seeing today? 
especially from folks like BLM, Black Lives Matter. They protest by burning down stores. Why? Because they're angry and they want to take revenge. They have signs to kill the police. And of course, they also have this strange view of white people are running the world and therefore that needs to be eliminated. This is a Marxist type of view. And the reason I say that is because originally Marx believed that the problems in the world are between, and here's how they would talk about it, between the bourgeois and those who are the proletariat. The bourgeois are those who run things. They're heads of companies, etc. The proletariat, they're the working class. And so Marxism uh, uh, tried to make the proletariat equal. It ended up, some people say, between 50 and 60 million people who died. The government cannot fix inequality in that sense. But, but that's a whole other subject. We might have a whole hour on that later on. Uh, today, uh, what they're saying is, if you want a utopian, then what you need to do is recognize that there is a difference between the oppressor and the oppressed. And so they're, they're trying to make equality, like between the sexes. Anybody who's done any study in biology, etc., will understand there is a difference between men and women. And these are stark differences that cannot be solved by the law. Uh, for example, men are more concerned with issues and doing things. Women are often more concerned with people. That's why you'll find a large number of nurses are women and a large number of engineers are men. Now, what are you going to do? Make a law and say the engineering school got to make sure you bring in enough women? No, the, the problem with that kind of thinking is business doesn't run on the basis of equality. It runs on the basis of competence. Therefore, you're trying to get the most competent people to be in your business that best helps your business. And so there's no doubt that males and females ought to have the opportunity of becoming whatever they want to become. We may not yet have had a woman president of the United States, but there's no doubt other countries have, like Great Britain. And they were wonderful prime ministers, for example. So it's not that women or men need to be excluded from certain companies or make laws to try and create equality. Because what counts 
is competence. If a man or a woman is competent to run something, then they ought to be able to do it. So we need to be really careful that we don't use the laws of the land to create an equality because those countries like the Scandinavian who have made laws to try and make men and women equal actually have caused a greater separation between the male and the female. That's the way God has it. It's very clear the head of the household is to be the male, but that doesn't mean that he orders the female around. No, he's second in command after God to make sure that the family runs according to the will of God. So we're starting to begin to answer what it means that love is the fulfilling of the law. It's not the act of love that makes something fulfill the law. There's something else. Let's look at the context of Romans 13. After talking about the government, what does Paul say? For the same reason you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And he goes on, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, up to this point, you may say, oh, see, there, there he says it again, that it is an act of love. That means you're fulfilling the law. I, I was listening to a very, very conservative individual, and in many areas of morality, he's great, but he was asked the question about gay lifestyles and the idea that two gay people can get married even if they're of the same gender. And he said, well, homosexuality has been around for a long time. I don't know what this will lead to, but at this point, I'm not going to say that it's wrong. Well, I'm listening to him and I'm saying to myself, well, so has pedophilia been around for a long time. Is he gonna say the same thing about that? that when the laws allow for pedophilia, now you're going to say, well, no, no, uh, how can that happen? But you see, pedophilia also is defined as, say, a 35-year-old man having a relationship with a 15-year-old young girl who wants that relationship. A number of them are already saying, you can't stand in the way of our love. And since both of them are consenting to it, Law and Order had an excellent, and this is years ago, they wouldn't do it today, an excellent story about a man who was accused of pedophilia, and he used the young girl to say that she did not mind it, she wanted it, she loved him, uh, even though she was way underage. And of course, he was found to be guilty. 
And that should have happened. But today, who knows? I mean, there's no doubt that polygamy has been around for a long time. So should the law allow for that? But to show what Paul means by love is a fulfilling of the law, you start looking at verse 9 and following. What does Paul point to? Does he talk about love? No. 9. The commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this world. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see what Paul has done here? He's taken the second part of the Ten Commandments. The first part is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second part is love your neighbor as yourself. And he ties proper love, not to some kind of feeling of romanticism, but rather in obedience to the will of God. In fact, in verse 10, he goes on, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Now, how do we know when we're doing wrong to a neighbor? Like coveting. If you take a look at Luther's splendid explanation, and we talked about that in an adult instruction class I was conducting yesterday, the word covet just doesn't mean to have bad thoughts. It means to do bad things where you gain something in an improper way, but it looks like it's legal. Uh, the example I gave, your neighbor buys a used car at a pretty good deal and you like it and you wouldn't mind having it at all. So what you do late at night, you go and put sugar in his gas tank and he can't get the car started. And he's very frustrated. Now he may have bought it, say for $6,000 and you go over to him and say, look at, I know you're having trouble with that. I, I, I wouldn't mind taking it off your hand. I'll give you 3000 for it. And he's so frustrated, he sells you his car. He loses 3000 You gain 3000 And legally, it appears that nothing is being done that's illegal. But you have coveted by action. So when it talks about love does no wrong to a neighbor, you know you do wrong when you break the commandments of God. Therefore, that has a totally different understanding of the phrase, love is the fulfilling of the law. Many in the world today look at this in a wrong way. They emphasize the word love. You see, if you're loving something, then from God's point of view, that is automatically fulfilling the law. I mean, how many times have you heard uh, people who are in a gay relationship say, we were born this way. And if we were born this way, then God is giving consent to this. Well, people are born with all kinds of original sin. Some people are born with a proclivity to beat on women. 
others are born with a proclivity to argue a lot with individuals. Just because you're born with original sin in no way means that therefore God is condoning those sins, those lifestyles. No, you need to go back to Scripture. And some people say, well, Jesus never was against homosexuality. I don't know what they're talking about. Because when Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, talks to the disciples about where he is found throughout the Old Testament, he starts with Genesis all the way through Malachi, pointing out where he is at. You see, the Bible may have been written by prophets and apostles, but Timothy makes very clear that that was all done by inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit. And it is not at all wrong to say that the entire Bible are the words of Jesus. So when we go to Romans chapter 1, and Paul makes it clear that gay activity is an abomination to God. That's not the Apostle Paul giving his own opinion. That is God giving direction to us. And therefore, when Romans talks about love is the fulfilling of the law, it's not saying, oh, you want to fulfill the law? Just make sure you have love. Because a lot of times, that love can be out of self-interest. You may really look up to your boss, but you're really nice to him. And every time he's around, you compliment him, etc. You may not mean any of that, but you're looking forward to maybe uh, getting more money for what you're doing or going to a higher level. Now, people will say, well, look how much he loves his boss. But the motivation is not love. It's actually self-interest. Similarly, with all sin, every time you do a sin, you are not fulfilling the law because the law of God is always the will of God for how you are to behave in a certain situation. Therefore, it's not that an act of love makes whatever you're doing fulfilling the law. No. Love instead needs to be understood as occurring only when you fulfill the law. For example, last week we read in the gospel, Jesus saying to the disciples, well, I'm ready to go to Jerusalem, and there I will be killed by the scribes, the Pharisees, and then I will rise from the dead. Well, Peter appeared not to have heard about the resurrection from Jesus' own mouth, or he didn't know Psalm 22, where it says, Jesus will be pierced in hands and feet, which meant the crucifixion. Instead, he chastised, he reprimands Jesus and says, far be it, Lord, that will never happen to you. Why? Because Peter thinks he'll be able to defend him. The same Peter who ran away from Jesus in the Garden 
of Gethsemane, the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. So this work of Jesus to go to the cross was an act of love. In fact, John 3.16, for God so agape, loved the world. And that love is doing something without getting anything out of it for yourself. It's an act of sacrifice. Jesus truly loved. And that's because he was fulfilling the will of God. And that fulfillment of the will of God is what made his actions loving, not vice versa. Very important to understand. And our task is to help people make it clear. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And therefore, those who are not fulfilling the will of God, they're not showing love from God's point of view. Because that's all that really counts. Not what we think is a fulfilling of the law, but rather how God thinks is a fulfilling of the law. Another very clear distinction between law and gospel. I'm Tom Baker. I thank you for listening to today and tomorrow with um, Mark Smith. Yeah, he's not on assignment tomorrow. We're going to be taking a look at a hymn which is entitled, My Soul Now Praise Your Maker. That'll be on tomorrow's Law and Gospel. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.